0: Welcome to the Other Web. Our guest today is Alexander the a pioneering technologist pushing the boundaries of artificial intelligence. He is currently spearheading the development of SmithOS, the world's first operating system designed to coordinate specialized AI agents and unlock new levels of efficiency. Alexander, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. All right, so it's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I want to start off by asking you. What is SmithOS?
1: SmithOS is a tool that lets you build AI agents uh, with no code, visual drag and drop. And you build agents by connecting any AI model, multiple ones if you want, to any API, multiple ones if you want, and any data source, multiple ones if you want, in a visual workflow, uh, multiple ones if you like. (laughs)
0: All right. So let's simplify this for people who aren't engineers and are listening to us. What is an AI agent? What could they possibly try to achieve with it?
1: Yeah. All right. So an AI agent is kind of like um, a digital co-worker or representative. So we think of AI tools so far as calculators that are pretty advanced but we don't think of them as having any autonomous work action like they're not actually like working behind the scenes talking to colleagues to get help or to each other this is changing so starting next year we're going to get a lot more familiar with with this think of them as di- digital colleagues
0: so essentially it is Something like Chat GPT, but it's on all the time and
1: it has a rule based logic on top of it, or so not rule based, intelligence based. Um, so uh, rule based would be something called uh RPA or robotic process automation, right? Um, so it's fundamentally different and it's by nature, it's going to compare, um, you know, compare a pet to a human, right? So, very different fundamentally in how it can reason. So. Think the best way is just by means of example. Take your best sales representative for your company, and imagine that an agent would be trained on all their conversations, and how to overcome sales objections, and knows how to just make a person fall in love with your brand and be very helpful. Ten star experience. It's your best salesperson, and you you put that in an AI agent. Now this AI agent needs to live somewhere. It needs to be accessible somewhere. So where do consumers shop? Well, uh, maybe the agent has uh, an embodiment. It's deployed to your website as a chat. But maybe it also gets deployed into the ChatGPT store so people can engage with your brand over there. Maybe it gets deployed to Alexa, Siri, Meta AI, Windows Copilot, uh, Need I Go On. Um, People are in many different places, and wherever they are, they could interact with your um, your AI agent. Your AI agent could make phone calls, could text, could email, could update your team in I don't know, Slack. it could be um, could be updating your ticketing system and say, "Hey, I talked to this and that person." Uh, HubSpot can schedule marketing campaigns, do outreach, things like that. Um, not on its own. This is not auto GPT. This is you saying with a visual workflow, um, this is what this agent is able to do. These are the APIs it has access to. This is the data it can use. Um, It has memory. It can write to its own memory. It can collaborate, and it can be deployed to different places. Um, the, The way this is transforming marketing is by creating brand agents that are everywhere accessible to consumers. The way it transforms uh, business and internal work is by having AI colleagues that are not just tools, but actually take on work. Some do research, some do writing, some do editing, some do publishing. A human can be in that loop or not in that loop, whatever you decide um, how you want to model that. They can also run in the background on a server somewhere quietly processing data all day long, something that could have required humans to do in the past at scale and a scale that humans can't do, looking at thousands of rows of data and comparing it with human-like intelligence, uh, something that you couldn't do with just programming logic. You can do very fun stuff, too. Let's say you're in, a, you're in a warehouse and you need to verify inventory, and let's say you've got this drone that can fly and take a picture on the shelf if that item is still there. So your agent could dispatch a drone to go take a picture of your inventory, come back and analyze that picture with computer vision, AIs, uh, read the labels on the boxes it read, uh, translate that, uh, again, with uh, character recognition, process it, make a decision, give you an answer. Um, so you can it's really up to the imagination what we can build with this. The best way to think about it is like when the web was born, it could not imagine all the websites people would build when uh, what, you know Microsoft Windows came out they could not imagine what developers 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 would do with that when yeah. the app store was launched um, Steve Jobs could have never predicted he'd have a beer drinking app <laughs> uh, on the iPhone as number one uh, in the store a month or so later so we cannot imagine the agents that people are going to build with human creativity, but we do know that agents are going to expand the world's GDP 10 to 100x in the, in the next few years.
0: All right, so I want to ask you a small tap- tactical question about what you just said, which is right now, if I want to use one of the big language models, I have to send it a query. And that query might be a large task, but I have to essentially prod it. Right, I am driving the conversation. If I create a chatbot and let it run somewhere, then it runs by itself and there is no human in the loop. Like what you're describing is perhaps an agent that does work and occasionally can ask me for approval for something. Is that a reasonable application of
1: it? Yeah, a fundamental difference where in mentally you can just draw a line and say if it crosses this line, it's an agent versus a tool, mm-hmm. is... An AI model becomes an agent when it is able to independently use different systems and tools to achieve its objective. So a language model, for example, you can talk to. And maybe it's trained to answer math questions, answer questions with text, or make an image. That's a wonderful foundation model. But can it learn on your company's data dynamically? Can it uh, read Jira tickets? Can it send an email to your colleague? You have to give it agency. It's kind of difference. Like imagine a human brain in a jar versus a human brain in a human body. A human brain in a human body can move around the world, can do things, can take action. A human brain in a jar just has like input and output signals. It becomes an agent when it has agency. So the agency requires it to be able to use tools when needed. Um, and to achieve its objective. And it also requires it to have the ability for agency, meaning that it needs to be able to run autonomously when needed, collaborate with others when needed, so that it has autonomy. You cannot have agents without agency, and that right. requires a form of autonomy. But we do that in a safe and responsible way with a paradigm called constrained alignment which means that you control as a human, as a business, what those agents are able to do, what tools they're able to use. And and step-by-step, you can audit everything about this. So this is why I'm talking about it as a tactical question, because
0: I, as a person who runs a company, occasionally would need to outsource some work to, let's say, a low-wage worker on Upwork for the kind of tasks that I think an agent could potentially do. The reason that I weren't able to use regular models until now is that I have to drive them. The reason I'm afraid of completely unconstrained agents is that they don't ask for permission. They just keep doing it until I stop them. So So can I program the kind of agents you are describing to ask me for approval in certain cases, to schedule one-on-ones when it needs to discuss something, essentially to do everything that an Upwork employee can?
1: 100%. 100%. 100%. So like Upwork and Fiverr, in the future they're gone. Uh the only the what? So not everybody will be building apps and agents and and all that, right? That's just like today. Not everybody builds apps for the App Store, but billions of people consume them. So the same way is for the future with agents. A number of people who are experts in their particular field will translate their expertise into agents and maintain those. And um instead of having to onboard them and so forth, there will be a marketplace uh, of agents and they'll be instantly available to everyone. Um, my company is not going to be the marketplace uh, where all that happens, but the best agents will be built with SmithOS. So if, uh, if anyone has ambitions to dominate this future Upwork uh, with a, a digital version of their skills, uh, where they can make money while they're asleep, where their agent can work for a hundred clients while while they're having, you know, uh, piña coladas in Cancun or something, right? Um, this can now be done. Um, it, it, proto age, uh, proto marketplaces are already starting to pop up, like the ChatGPT store. Uh, Poe has a monetization component. This is only the beginning. Uh, by this time next year. We will have, um, just like the Chrome marketplace for the Chrome browser, we'll have the BARD extensions marketplace, um, and then Apple will make its move. A little bit delayed, but they will have an App Store moment for AI as well, which will be massive. When it is announced, everybody's going to say Apple is genius for coming up with this. But (laughs) they they are not the first to come up with this idea Other, other companies have.
0: Right, so that leads me to the next question, which is the OS part. Why do you yeah. need an operating system for this?
1: Well, you know, you, you want to make a software. You're not going to code it in assembly, right? You want right. an operating system to handle the networking, the memory, the communication. Um, there's a lot of orchestration that happens, low-level and high-level components. Smith OS orchestrates all of that. So you can just focus on the business logic of your agent no code, drag and drop, tell it what to do with plain English language. And Smith OS handles all of that infrastructure, all the scaling, security, networking, all of that, memory, everything is handled by the operating system. So if we compare this to mobile apps, it seems
0: like in mobile apps there was no demand for this drag and drop tool to create an app. People would code it and it would run on whatever the mobile device's operating system is. Why do you think this market is different?
1: Well, there there is there is for the app developers. There's plenty of um, app builders that make it easy to build apps. But um, what what we're offering is both the the operating system and the IDE, the Visual IDE. The operating system lets provides the runtime for the agents, so to speak, right? And our operating system provides that. But we also it's in one package, Like right? Swift OS lets you also build the apps visually with no code. So it has those two components, the way to build them and then the way to run them on our hardware. So the same thing, like, you could compare it to, like, iOS, and then the IDE is whatever you choose to, to use. On top of that, um, you, could use, you could build it in Swift, but there's a million, like, no-code app builders for App Store as well. Right. I'm
0: just curious why here they would be made by the same company as opposed to what you have in mobile where iOS is made by Apple right, or Android is made by Google. The different frameworks for building apps are built independently. Often they are open source, etc. Why do you think those two need to merge in this case?
1: Well, like let's be clear. Like uh, Microsoft Windows offers the operating system and the developer tools like Visual Studio Apple builds the operating system for their um, operating system hardware and provides the developer tools if people want to extend that and build extensions and supersets of that you know they can do that but that only happens the secondary market only responds after there's a critical mass of people already using that technology so that too can happen with smith in the future but if you want to b- bring the future near Um, you need to provide both the way to build the agents and the way to host and scale the agents. Both things require a lot of time. And the, the most overlooked thing by anyone who sets out and says, hey, I'm going to build an agent. You might go and say, oh, look, I can code. I'm going to use an open source framework and I'm going to code this together. When you're done building your agent, then you have to start the difficult process of securing it hosting it, scaling it, and maintaining it. You need to figure out where things break. Don't forget, we're dealing with AI. AI is fuzzy. It's non-deterministic. Really hard to debug when one time it outputs one way and another time it outputs another way. How do you go about finding where in the chain things broke down? You need extremely solid debugging tools, all of which are missing in every open source project. It is an, I would say, an unauditable mess for production. And so, we're seeking to, uh, to address that problem heads on. With Smith, you do not have to worry about all of that. We take care of all of it for you, so you can focus on the business logic. I'll give an example of Upwork. I built an agent in one afternoon, delivered it to my sales team. Then somebody said, I'm curious, how much would this have cost on Upwork? So I made a job description, and I went to get quotes. The average quote was $50,000 and um, three to six months' time. That's how much time it would have taken to code this um, and handle all of that work. One afternoon versus $50,000 and three-plus months' time. I know what I'll pick for my business.
0: Right. Okay, so you mentioned the future a few times and you already said what you think about Upwork in the future. What is your more general prediction? What does a startup look like five years from now? Does it have any employees besides the founder that has an idea and a logic of what he'd like to do or she would like to do? Or does it have the creative employees but everybody who does the grunt work as agents? what does this look like
1: yeah so to be a founder in the future you need to you need to ha- be like a real generalist who knows a bit about marketing and finance and everything and, and 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 business logic and know exactly the problem you're solving none of that is different compared to today if you're if you do not have all the skills required to make a business work um you'll need to have a small team of people that are really good at that and share your vision and understand what you're trying to do. The difference is that, um, you can imagine that like for every, for every human, there will be about 10 agents to help you in your role. So your role will not be gone, but you will have about a ratio of what 10 to one agent to human ratio. So that means that a, You know, a team of like five people can have the equivalent of a company size today of 55 people. Um, Instead of needing 10 developers, you can have one developer. Instead of needing 10 um, marketing specialists, you need one marketing specialist. And um, that's obviously humans, but then they will collaborate like that. For smaller startups and smaller businesses, they are... Not going to create their own unique Coca-Cola recipe. They're instead going to just go to agent marketplaces and just hire AI agents to just drop in and come, come and help them. The way that's going to work is actually pretty cool. Like, let's say you wanted to hire Gary Vay- Vaynerchuk to help you out, but you can't afford him. But now you can have Gary V agent, and his agency will maintain a series of Gary V services and agents that you can just. You know, plug and play into your business and boom, you have the same process that he designed it, he maintains it, he makes sure the quality is there, you know exactly input and output. So you put your dream team together like fantasy football, and you go to work. So ten years from now, we have a company with a handful of people on the stock market valued at a trillion dollars. Um, five, ten years from now, you have uh, a former. A freelancer from the Philippines, right, who lost this outsourcing job but learned how to make agents instead and now runs a billion dollar business from his living
2: room.
0: Well, some will do that, obviously. Some will just have lost their existing business, right, <laughs> because they are replaceable. They, they don't have the skills to up level to what you describe, right? Um, it's an interesting vision. I'm kind of curious. Where this goes, will government step in and say that agents should be paid the minimum wage too? So they don't compete with humans for prices, right?
1: Uh, Well, look, um, the way to see this is imagine a world economy where you had 80 billion people instead of eight, except the extra 72 billion don't need. they don't need a home. They don't need, um, I don't know, a diamond ring or a wedding gown. They don't need pollution as such because, you know, by this time we have our data centers on the moon and we we just stream everything from there. So, uh, you know, space will cool all our chips instead of having to pay all for that cooling equipment here. Uh, Starlink will, like, m- mesh network this back to Earth. So. You, you have the productivity, a GDP 10x, 100x what we have today, but you still only have to care for the needs of a similar amount of people. So that means that the earth, earth is wealthy enough uh, to, um, to take care of its people. And so now it just uh, comes down to goodwill, where we need to just be, have the, will, the willpower to say, you know, when there's enough wealth to eradicate poverty, why don't we? When there's enough resources to eradicate um, hunger and disease, why don't we? And I think this is something that we can aspire to as, as humanity, to use this additional wealth uh, for common good. Yeah, so I share
0: the same hope for what you just described um, with the caveat that for this to work, We have to translate this wealth in the world of bits into wealth in the world of atoms because people can't use more knowledge work to eat, right? You need to somehow convert it into actually having more food, more housing, more of all of these things that people, at least that don't have right now, would like to have.
1: And this too can happen. I mean, just this week, uh, DeepMind from Google uh, published a report where they have found uh, a way for material science to discover thousands and thousands of new, new, new you, know, you know chemical compositions to make new materials uh breakthroughs in how to compose graphene which can aid in the discovery of new superconductors which can then aid into I don't know aer- electric airplanes or quantum computers in our pocket the size of phones uh, we Or flying skateboards like in uh, Back to the Future. So, uh, you know, that material science will then translate to better products, less pollution, more opportunity, more efficient use of our resources. The same breakthroughs with AI will happen in longevity, health, medicine, Um, the the benefits of understanding nutrition better and interaction with humans, uh, human bodies, and our health, uh, our farming, automation. Everything, our understanding of DNA and life, uh, everything will and is already. This is not, you don't have to be a futurist. You just have to read the news. <laughs> I mean, this is already happening. Um, so, it, progress is happening at an astounding rate. The main important thing is that we have to have the willpower to use the benefits of that increased wealth. For the benefit of of people who need it, and I will just say this: Why, you know, why am I optimistic about this? Is because I have never met a single person on the political spectrum, left or right, religious in fanatic way or not fanatic way, who harbors this idea that they enjoy poverty and hunger and pain in other people. I hope that answered your question.
0: It is. And I've tried to end every single episode in this series on an optimistic note, and I have no idea how we can possibly top this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think just by describing this kind of utopian universe, uh, you've kind of put it an, an <laughs> a point in this discussion. Yeah, you have
2: anything more that you want to add? I'll just say that this is in our hands. This is a decision that we need to make. A reflection you can have on this is um, a middle class person in a established economy has better access to health care than the emperors of Rome had. Have a more um, luxurious living arrangement with the world's best libraries in their fingerprints at their fingertips, in their pocket, in almost every measurable way. They're better off than the pharaohs, emperors, and kings of just 100, 200, 300 years ago. With the improvement in
1: technology around AI, we can can 100% see. That the same thing will be true for the future,
2: and that future generations will have access to things we currently think of as what billionaires have access to. And if you think about it, you know, billionaires may drive around in a million dollar car, but your
1: $50,000 car is not that much worse than their million dollar car. The wealth gap may be seeming a lot when you look at it as a number in a bank, but beyond a certain amount of money, the, the actual difference you have is not that much.
2: Whether you have a 65-inch television or an 80-inch television, the difference is not that big. Where the, the biggest luxury that people have with much more wealth is,
1: I would say, freedom To pursue what they really love doing,
2: to go where they want to go, when they want to go somewhere. It's the freedom of choice. And today, most people who are not ultra rich oftentimes have to go to work that they do not enjoy just to provide, to make ends meet. I think that is something that will become a thing of the past, the future. Something we can change. Make sure that everyone has enough access to resources so they can choose
1: to work on something they're passionate about. And that could be taking care of their kids, if that's what they want. That could be becoming an artist. If we had such a society a hundred years ago Maybe World War II would have not happened, and some dictator would instead have enjoyed pursue his art passion. But because they are forced instead
2: to give up on their dreams because of the world we live in, maybe people become bitter. So when we can
1: create that, that access to, to technology and prosperity and share those benefits with other people, we have have a choice to make the world a much better place.
0: Thank you so much for that. I also really, really hope that we end up in that place sooner rather than later. Um, On a slightly less optimistic note, there are some risks in the world as well. So there's kind of a race between the bad stuff happening and the good stuff happening. So I hope that all the good stuff you described happens first.
1: Yeah, and this is where... um, Open source is a is a great equalizer, um, but it's interesting. Um, now, artificial intelligence can be used
2: to do bad, and it can be used to do good. But here's some so so ultimately, people with bad intentions obviously can do a lot more damage with a machine
1: gun than with a knife right? So same way with artificial intelligence, you could do a lot more damage than with
2: other weapons. Artificial intelligence is more dangerous than a gun. It can do a lot more harm. But we also have, we have two things. The number of people who want to use artificial
1: intelligence for good will, I believe, always exceed the number of people by far who want to use it for bad. And so that makes it an an, an uneven proposition, right? I think for every really bad, disturbed person, there's maybe 100 really, really good persons who want to go and make that better. So this is an advantage really in favor of a better future. Um, does not diminish the risks, but it really works in our favor. Uh, the other thing is, um,
2: you know, there's this, uh, uh well, this Disney movie, Aladdin, right? I believe he steals an apple in the cartoon. He's like running through uh, this, his town yeah. and he
1: steals an apple, you know, once he becomes like Prince Ali. And he has all of his wishes granted by the genie if he would still steal an apple at that point from a merchant that we would frown upon that. but when he was hungry, maybe he stole an apple just
2: just to live. And so there's a different moral equivalency with with those things. The question is,
1: not obviously crime is bad, but a lot of crime. In in this world, happens because people are in certain situations and they make bad decisions to go to go and make their situation better. Would we still would it still make sense to go uh, to be a robber when
2: we live in a society that has an abundance of wealth? So, would it still make sense for? Or people who have, you know, m- mental disorders, to
1: to do things that relate from that. If we had really good treatments available for them, right? Would it still make sense for countries to not provide healthcare services as a as a common service to their population? If the costs of healthcare and treatment were lowered so much because of advancement in, in technology that it nearly became free, when you remove those obstacles for a better society that often cause the hardship and the crime associated with it, then in general, um, a lot of the things we consider and worry
2: about with bad actors is removed. Maybe instead of starting, some crypto scam, they would instead
1: just be enjoying their high quality life on things they enjoy, because, you know, that kind of greed to simply not pay off anymore. They already have what they need. I'm not saying that will solve all issues. Obviously, there will still be those. But we all know that uh, areas with more poverty have more crime. Areas with historical trauma have more pain to heal from. So, uh, you know, the problem of bad actors with AI, you know, can also be improved a lot by simply improving the, li- the life conditions of the people around us. And so, this is the social contract that we have to make in making the, making the, the benefits of AI accessible and distribute it to benefit our population or neighbors, not hoard it up for ourselves, because what else can we do with that money? Beyond a certain point, what else can you do? You need another yacht, you need another plane. Is that going to really make you happy? I spoke to someone who has a 70-inch TV in their room and they were looking at a 100-inch TV for Black Friday. (laughs) And they were talking to me about it and it's like, trying to make up their mind, should I buy this? And I said, you know, how, how will the few extra inches materially improve your life quality? And they said, it won't. And I said, well, then you know what to do. <laughs> right. I would actually argue it would probably affect
0: their vision in a negative way because now they're that much closer to a really wide screen.
1: <laughs> Who knows?
0: But yes, I agree with you. The TV that we have in our house is 43 inches and it's only used for the benefits of the kids because us adults, I'd (laughs) rather not have a TV. (laughs) All right. Um, This has been a fascinating conversation. Really optimistic. I did not expect this, to be honest. So thank you so much for that. That's my dose of optimism, at least for (laughs) a month going forward. And uh, I hope we can talk again in the future once uh, you guys are the biggest... AI slash agent slash everything operating system in town. Thank you, Alex. All right. Thank you so much, Alexander. This has been another episode of The
2: Other Web. Join us next time for more discussions on news, media, and everything in between.